0: everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santi, and today our guest is Greg Santucci. Hi, Greg.
1: Hello, friend. How are you?
0: (laughs) I'm good. Did I say your name right? I always forget to ask. Um, So this is the second time you've been on the show. I had so much fun the first time, Um, and I know that uh, you are so busy that I just appreciate you coming coming back on. Um, So, Greg, tell folks who you are and um, what you do, and then we'll jump into our conversation.
1: Well, I'm Greg Santucci has said it right. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm an, a pediatric occupational therapist, and I'm to the point now in my career where I can actually measure it. By centuries, I'm a. I've been doing Ooh. it for a quarter of a century. Oh. That's how old I am. Now. <laughs> um, most important credential: I'm the dad of two amazing teenagers. In fact, uh, this is the the day we're recording. This is the day after my daughter's 16th birthday. Uh, so happy birthday to her. Yeah. Uh, my son is is 14. Um, but I um, I own a company called PowerPlay Pediatric Therapy. Um, I have been dedicated to pediatrics my entire career. I have worked in the schools my entire career. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's very important to me. I'm very focused on amplifying the voices of neurodivergent people in this conversation so that we as professionals can improve our practice. Uh, I am certified in something called sensory integration integration. And now that sensory is a buzzword. I yep. love the fact that <laughs> that we're adding sensory processing into the to the conversation about yeah. regulation and co-regulation and stress responses. Um, so that has kind of guided my practice, um, mm-hmm. and I just absolutely love talking about this this topic.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love reading all your stuff. Um, At the end, I'll let you give a plug for where people can find you, but I'll just say (laughs) here that your Facebook page has been really um uh informational for me and Today's and, the anniversary, it's, is it's it? It's the
1: 3 year anniversary today and we're just about to hit 70,000 people. So oh my crazy. god, happy
0: anniversary. Hey, That's thank great. you. <laughs> yeah, um uh yesterday was the 7th anniversary of the podcast, so Yay! it's a big anniversary weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, so everyone who listens knows that we usually start with a quote and I don't really have a formal quote for this one. Um but uh a m- couple of months ago, um Mike Huber and I and um and now I'm not gonna remember Anna's last name, but she was Mike's boss at the time. Anyway, we recorded an episode about um, compliance and co-regulation and ABA came up in the conversation. Um, uh, and I got a lot of uh, listener feedback asking me um, to reconsider my position and to not be so hard on ABA um, because I there, there were things I didn't understand about it. And also because um, it's the only thing insurance pays for, so it's parents' only choice, and we can't put them in this weird position by calling it child abuse and then sending them out to have that as their only choice. So I thought, who better to come and help me <laughs> process this than, than you, Greg? So um, So let's... I want to make sure that we get to at some point some of the options that that idea that parents yeah. don't have another choice. Because parents
1: there's... do have a choice and yeah, hopefully so... at the end of this they'll realize that that an educated parent is a powerful powerful resource um right. and can help guide their choices. Yeah. Yes.
0: So um so so I, I but I think what, I'm going to try and h- hang on to that for the end of the conversation. <laughs> um so first let's just talk about ABA and and why it's sort of being called into question now after so many years of being the shit,
1: <laughs> right? No, that's it's it's fair. Uh, uh, oh my gosh, for so long it's been labeled the gold standard, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know how that. Yes, that's the phrase I was. Comes about. You can say the shit. <laughs> I <know. laughs> anyway, uh, sorry. I don't. I don't know who, who the gold standard committee is to mm-hmm. to uh, that gives that definition. But when that, where it came from, if you look at the history, autism was thought of differently back when this came around. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a much different understanding of what autism is than when all of this really started to surface. Even if you go back to the the 1987 study that Lovas did um, back, where they said, yes, you need 20, 30, 40 hours a week of this thing called ABA. Mm -hmm. Um, If you go back and look at that study, and I read that study from time to time, just to keep it (laughs) fresh in my head, um, that it was a study of 19 kids. They were all boys, I believe, Uh which is interesting because so many more um, girls have have received a diagnosis of autism and autism prevents very differently in girls. So we just learned more about it, but those kids received 20, 30, 40 hours a week of ABA for two to six years. Yeah. Like it was a long time, which even just hearing that it's like, oh, and then what the, the outcome measure, um, and I'm cheating because I, I have it here in my notes because yeah. I'm constantly reminded 47% of the children became what they labeled indistinguishable from their peers. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was considered the best outcome. Right. So we were looking back there to make these weird kids, kids that we didn't understand, look a little less autistic, and that was the win. Mm-hmm. Um, where now you have the decade of the brain in the nineteen nineties, where we learn all this about the neuroscience, and that mentality doesn't fly anymore. But it's still the Predominant intervention, despite professionals in the autistic community saying, "No, no, 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 stop!" Mm-hmm. For a variety of reasons.
0: Yeah. So I, th- I think I want to start by just th- talking, or or letting you talk more about what the autistic community is telling us, what we should be hearing from them, and acting on around this idea of ABA.
1: Okay. So first, let me go with the research and, and i have to give huge props to chris Bonello, um b o n e l l o from autistic not weird uh, thank you
0: cuz people were going to comment and ask me for that right, name again <laughs> right. so
1: chris pinello autisticnotweird.com he is autistic he is a now retired teacher researcher okay. author um and just fabulous human being um, I have just, I have no financial commitment with him. I'm just a fan. <laughs> so I'll, I'll put that out there. Anything yeah. I say, I don't have any sort of financial commitments with anyone. Yeah. There's my big disclaimer. <laughs> um, so he did a ginormous survey of people who are in the autistic community, both neurodivergent and, and professionals. Anybody who's who's touched by autism was, was part of this. And it was over 11,000 people. 7,500 of which were autistic themselves. So in his survey, he asked about ABA. And if you go on his website, Autistic Not Weird, you can read the whole survey, how he got his participants, what they were looking at, how he analyzed the data. And he, the the survey, 88% of autistic people do not support the use of ABA for autistic children. Full stop, 88%. Now, he chiseled that out even more. Over 71% of autistic people who actually acknowledged receiving ABA services, not just autistic people, people who actually received it, do not support the use of ABA. So to put that in like a mainstream perspective, and and I don't want to make light of a serious situation. But if I go on Yelp or if I go on Amazon and 88% of the reviews are one star. And 71% of those people are verified users and they say, don't use it. I am not using that product. Mm -hmm. Um, But to your point as to what the autistic community are saying, um, I actually wrote down something that I read from an autistic person who received ABA that sums it up perfectly. So they described what looked like progress that was happening was happening at the the expense of their sense of self, their Mm -hmm. comfort, their feelings of safety, and their ability to love who they are and their stress levels. That's how the autistic community, and I mean thousands of them, Mm -hmm. are describing. So the outward appearance of ABA is improvement. But that outward improvement is married to the dramatic increase in internal anxiety and suffering. So this person, they described um, being pushed and they were pushed repeatedly to the point of tears with zero sense of personal power and knowing that the only way to stop the repeated torment was to comply with everything being asked, no matter how painful, no matter how uneasy it made them feel or how unreasonable the request seemed to them. Mm. So that is from the mouth of an autistic person that summarizes what the greater community has been saying Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that we have to own that as professionals. Um, If, if, you know, if a parent or or even an ABA professional is hearing that that's really hard to listen to. And it's really important that we hear it and process it because what, you know, you'll hear so much, Oh, ABA is abuse and, and you're hurting kids and that's how they're describing it internal anxiety and suffering and having zero personal power and just complying with everything just to make it go away. Mm-hmm. That's the gold standard.
0: Yeah That's a definition of of uh, I mean that's the opposite of mental health. I, right. I mean all those right. all those characteristics you described in those experiences in a different conversation would be a list of things contributing to a lack of mental well-being or psychological safety. And I'm going
1: to go out and say that the majority, the vast majority of people who go into the profession of ABA, whether they're BCBAs or RBTs, don't intend for that to happen. Absolutely. I can. Yes. So (laughs) I'm not here. So I'm not bashing people that they get into the profession to help people. Yeah. And so I could imagine the conflict of hearing that like, wait, 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 wait. I believed in this. I felt like I was helping people. And now I'm getting this feedback when I've invested all of this time and mm-hmm. money to get this knowledge base. And now you're telling me I'm hurting people like mm-hmm. that blows my brain up. But that conflict is so important. You, you have to go there and grapple with that because this, this is what the consumers of this intervention are telling us. Mm hmm. <laughs> that's rough I'm that stressed. was rough I, yeah. I, gotta a, I gotta take a drink and it's only water I'm sorry.
0: I was like tearing up <laughs> I just you know I, I I absolutely know that people get into it because they want to help yeah. and and they're coming from a, a a place that's um you know like in lots of the conversations we have on on this show with uh, with whoever um you know I always want to acknowledge that I don't I'm not accusing anyone of waking up in the morning every morning and saying how can I harm the right. children I touch today, right. I come in contact with today. Right. Um, but there are real reasons, important reasons, as you just shared for us to get serious about it right. A- and for us to say, oh, i i I never thought about it that way or um,, uh, you know, that's we we just need to hear it. We need to hear it and and take it seriously.
1: The uh, one other thing before anyone who is uh, an ABA professional or RBT logs off of this podcast, I just want yeah. to explain yeah. where where I am coming from with this. Yeah. Um. So I gave the credentials as an OT, but I worked in an ABA school for years. Um. I was trained in ABA, specifically verbal behavior, by prominent. BCBAs in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, countless workshops in service, countless bad hotel coffees sitting in ballrooms <laughs> listening to this, um, countless consultations to make sure that everybody is on the same page. Uh, I was also fired from an ABA school because I had to call the State Institute. Institutional abuse line for the things that I were seeing that were just not okay. Mm -hmm. So I was in this training and watching it go down on a day to day basis for years. So it's not just some guy on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in this, it made me sick to the point where I actually had to speak up. Um, I, it, it financially almost ruined me getting fired from a, from a job just because I felt like I was doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the simple fact that so many of these, for, for me, these kids that we do this to, um, can't speak up for themselves and can't advocate for themselves. And you see what goes on when the school doors close every day, it's horrifying Um, And this coming from somebody who 100% of my treatment sessions as an OT are observed by parents. I want people in the room. Mm -hmm. And I hear so much that kids are just dropped off at these centers and people can't watch what's going on. They can't watch the, the, the whining, moaning, crying, uncomfortableness of their children as the ABA professional goes for errorless teaching or does pairing to get instructional control um, or withhold something they really like until the kid complies. Mm-hmm. That's what the autistic community is saying. No, no, no. Those little things are to the, the ABA community are huge things for the people that it's happening to.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we we didn't really define ABA. We kind of just jumped in assuming everybody would right. know, but do you have a, a quick description, definition?
1: Quick, 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 quick description. It's operant conditioning. Yeah. It's, um, you know, rewarding behaviors you like, and not rewarding or punishing behaviors that you don't like to, to get the desired outcome. Mm-hmm. How's that for quick?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, they,
1: <laughs> they, and, and of course, if they're still on, they're like, no, 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 it's so much more than that. Yeah. Uh, it, is, it is operant conditioning. Um, it, it, and, and that's the, the long and short of it. Yeah.
0: But we're, I mean, we're such a behaviorist culture. I mean, as, as a whole, it's what we've all been raised on. It's what's instinctively feels right. Right. It feels like it should make, it makes sense if we, um, you know, reward the positive and have something negative you know punish uh whatever euphemism we're using for that punishment consequences or whatever for what we don't want to see it makes sense that that should you know get us the desired results and that's really just not how the human brain works or the body works (laughs)
1: That may have been how we were parented yes (laughs) yes yeah that's what i mean
0: like yeah culturally that's just and we have this this american idea that well we can't just let people get away with things
1: you know (laughs) it's it's fun it's funny, and i'm smiling because i literally just had a conversation with my dad about this last uh-huh. week yeah about how well obviously you have to take away his phone like you have to take away his phone and i'm like wait you raised me <laughs> <laughs> like don't you follow yeah, um, yeah. And, and it's so funny how we withhold something uh-huh. that they really like in order to get the desired so i asked him i said well who does that work for said, well it works for me i'm like yeah Exactly, uh-huh. but it's uh-huh. not working for him. Uh-huh. So if you want to piss the kid off or make them not trust you
0: mm-hmm.
1: or or you know, if you get into more of the typical teenage world, which is I am, if you want to make them hide things from you and start lying to you, yep. um, in order so that they can still continue and not let you know, then by all means take away their phone. Mm-hmm. But if you want to make durable changes in behavior that are healthy for both parties please be more collaborative and respect mm-hmm. the brain of the person you want to take away the phone from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's extremely ableist of us um, to to use all of these tactics and the way that we were raised and everything and not acknowledge the, the neurodivergent brain in front of us, mm-hmm. um, to not acknowledge their unique sensory profile, how they experience the world. Um, to just assume, okay, this is what was done to us. This is what we've done forever. So therefore this is okay, mm-hmm. um, I think is really problematic.
0: Yeah. And the the whole idea that <clears throat> it puts every, it puts the entire burden, well, first of all, just the assumption that they need to change because they're different from us is, right. is a huge
1: problem. Huge problem. Um,
0: yeah. But if we accept sec- that that's true, then the next thing is the entire, burden of doing those changes or or well just changing is on the shoulders of a child who's maybe already struggling who's maybe already um you know having some other difficulties or is experiencing all this stress from these treatments um and and if we're if we suggest that the adults should change there's outrage
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah even the the phrase problem behavior yeah Um, There are so many things that are labeled problem behaviors Mm -hmm. that if you just change the wording and and instead of calling them a problem behavior, that's that's a problem for the adult. Yes. Um, But if you label them a stress response, Uh the entire trajectory of how you're going to approach that situation changes. That if, if and that's where you get more into the 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 neuroscience and the regulation and co-regulation, where if a child is having a stress response and you truly believe that that the behavior is just a symptom of that, it, it's just a signal. Um, you're there to support the kid. Mm-hmm. If if you see it as a problem behavior that automatically goes to, well, we got to get rid of this behavior, um, insert rewards and punishments and consequences or whatever word. Mm-hmm. Um So that's where ABA kind of the philosophy fell flat is after the decade of the brain. And we started learning about neuroscience. Yeah. Thanks to Stephen Porges and Mona Delahook and all of the people out there who are bringing this into everyday practice, you know, no, ABA is not the gold standard Mm -hmm. for working with autistic people. Um, and I even question whether or not it's an evidence-based practice or not, just by definition of what evidence-based practice is.
0: Well, didn't the, um, boy, was it the De- Department of Defense? Didn't they do a study yeah, of the yeah. evidence that ABA was based on? The,
1: the TRICARE study. Yes. Yeah. And uh, they found, well, I think it was 79% didn't make progress and 9% regressed, something like that.
0: Yeah. yeah. So,
1: but but yet it still continues and it's still funded. Yeah why? Yeah. (laughs) Like how, how much evidence do you need to pull back on something?
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's, that's the big question. And, you know, there are people who are, you know, it's expensive. You get a college degree, you know, in ABA or, you know, graduate level degrees in ABA. And so then it would be, it's your livelihood sometimes. You know, like you just right. described. That's right, exactly. That's where that it gets, makes yeah. it harder, that, that, that fogs up the lens, I guess, is what I'm trying to say well, when we're presented with different ideas or with the thoughts and feelings and experiences of autistic people.
1: So it's no secret, it's it's Googleable um, <laughs> that there there is something called the Autism Investors Summit. Uh And that uh, Blackstone and other venture capitalist firms bought out the ABA clinics uh, back in like 2018, 2019 um, to the tune of $700 million. So that original study of 19 boys um, that now turns into 20, 30, 40 hours a week Mm -hmm. of billable services. Mm -hmm. So why are we not changing? because there's big money behind it. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of times parents will hear about ABA for the first time from their pediatrician Mm -hmm. who they trust with everything. I love my kid's pediatrician. And in fact, I just sent him Chris Bonello's research (laughs) because he thanked me for enlightening him. He Uh had no idea. Yeah, but usually as soon as they hear autism, the first words out of their mouth, it's rubber stamped. It's ABA. Yeah. So parents assume that that is the right thing to do. Right. But the truth is, the pediatricians don't know about this conversation. They know about the the research articles in PubMed, so mm-hmm. they can go and they can read the research. And this is where I push back on evidence based practice because by definition, now I'm getting a little bit technical here. Evidence based <laughs> practice is the research. Plus uh-huh. the expertise of the professional plus client values. Okay. So go to that client value section. Mm-hmm. Boom. So the research shows that they can manipulate a behavior. Right. Okay. So, okay. You can manipulate a behavior. We can, we can, <laughs> another podcast go into a deep dive into the actual research behind that. Yeah. Um. The expertise is on op- operant conditioning and there's not training in the neurosciences, in sensory processing for these professionals who are doing what has been deemed the gold standard. They're not Mm -hmm. trained in anything but ABA.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then the clients are telling us to stop. So again, I pose the question, is ABA an evidence-based practice? I say no. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I'll buy that. You've convinced (laughs) me. (laughs) Um, So, okay, so now we've got... I want to make sure that, that we get a couple more things in. Um, so so let's I know let's talk about the new ABA because that's the other thing that comes up in the feedback. Um yes. or or in these conversations, is there's always someone saying it's not like that anymore. Like that anymore. We've <laughs> made changes. It's it's gentler. It's play-based. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. So let first in order to talk about new ABA, we gotta talk about what they're calling. Old ABA, uh-huh.
0: okay. and I think
1: I think what I can gather where this is coming from is more of the the discrete trial training, yeah. DTT, in the literature, yeah. where you sit down at a table and you do drills and you take binders full of data to show that progress. Mm-hmm. That, although that still exists, that to me seems to be what what that community is calling old ABA. Um, Let me just say this right off the bat. New ABA is a marketing tool. Ah. It is not an evolved philosophy. Um, They hear the criticism because it's loud, Mm -hmm. Um, but they got to keep the gravy train running. So it's this new ABA. So what you'll hear is that new ABA is more Mm -hmm. (laughs) play-based to me. And I'm I'm guessing yeah. to you because I, yeah. I know you. Yeah. Um that that's a little offensive to people who truly commit to play because to me they are shredding the definition of play. Yeah. Um mainly because so often they call autistic play non-functional play. Um right. they'll see lining up toys is not functional.
0: Yeah, Again, everybody that, freaks out the minute it, a kid lines up some toys. <laughs>
1: Exactly. So, so by them saying play based, what they're saying is, well, they're using toys that a kid really likes mm. to manipulate that kid. Yeah. That's not play. That's using objects that kids like to still get yeah. your results.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, perfect example of this idea of non-functional play. Um, and a shout out to my friends at Autism Level Up. Uh, Jacqueline Feed gave the best description of this idea of non-functional play I've ever heard. And I use it all the time and I always throw her props. Um, so she was consulting in a, in a school with her colleague, Amy Laurent, both of autism level up. And the, the kid was lining up different pieces of a Mr. Potato head. Um, and they were, they were categorized. I mean, uh-huh. the arms and the arms and and, then, uh-huh. and They labeled that as non-functional play. So basically in their mind, if you're not playing with the toy as the manufacturers intended, it's non-functional and so ableist. And we call ourselves out for that. Um, So she clarified this. And she said, just to, to clarify that lining up and categorizing toys of a Mr. Potato Head you're considering non-functional and not normal, but sticking human appendages into a plastic potato was totally normal and fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm just like, I that, is, that is just legend. Too long for a t-shirt, but <laughs> but absolutely brilliant. Right, so, right. Was fine with sticking plastic human appendages into a plastic potato, totally normal. Uh-huh. But if you line them up, and those same people have all their shoes lined up yeah in their closet that's really a great that, uh, uh, so a great example so yeah so so that that was um it's <laughs> new aba is just a a sound bite a marketing tool um because they're hearing the criticism and they're yeah. trying to you know get on the floor more and, and do their trials in a more natural setting mm-hmm. but to be clear their education has not changed. Mm -hmm. Um, I am still undoing new ABA every week in my career. The majority of the kids that I see on my caseload continue to get ABA services. So I'm still undoing Mm -hmm. the problems that ABA caused. So again, the criticism is of the foundation of what the theory is of what ABA is. If the Mm -hmm. foundation is bad, I don't care if you put nice, pretty curtains on the second floor. If the foundation is bad, it's still going to crumble. Yeah,
0: yeah. Ugh. I'm exhausted. <laughs> why did we? Why did we decide to do this on a Who's Sunday? Whose idea was this? <laughs> I know, you know. I but I appreciate this so much, and I it's so important that. Um, uh, I guess we'll just we'll just go through the rest of our day all worked up. <laughs> and, uh, but so so now I want to ask. Um, you know, because I think, you know, I, I got this in feedback, but I've thought it myself, like, if this is the only option families feel like they have, um, and I'm telling them it's harmful, potentially harmful well, harmful. Um, I don't know why I thought I need to throw a modifier in there. Um, uh, you know, what kind of an asshole am I, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and that's what, what I hear from, from people when we talk about this is, well, it's, Parents feel like it's their only option, so we have to help them feel good about it. Like, there, there's, let there's me little... say that I know parents are advocating for their children with the best information that they've been given. Right. You know, you know, they they've they've been told by trusted people that this is the solution. Right. Um. So so I want to acknowledge that, but but they ha- they have to know that there are other things.
1: I also have to acknowledge that that I have spoken to to minority families um that have spoken out that that some of the techniques and and compliance-based techniques um could actually save their minority child's Mm -hmm. life so like i want to acknowledge that piece of it as well um i i honestly feel like when you're getting into and i did a meme uh, a while ago like that no kid needs 20 30 40 hours of intervention that's a full-time job that is exhausting Mm -hmm. um so there's that so it almost seems like it's it's a it's a form of it's not skilled care it's a form of caregiving Mm -hmm. that you can get this you can send a kid to a place where they're getting support for this much time Mm -hmm. I understand how that could be appealing and then the conflict of wait how can that not be okay um so there's there's that piece of it that I would say is it's not skilled care Uh um and the other thing is when they're going into a place and we talk about alternatives and as an occupational therapist this is where I can to speak more about alternatives Um, what's happening is when you go into this place, 20, 30, 40, 40 hours, where they have to bill again, venture capitalist firms want the billing. These are private companies. There's an investor summit that you can go and learn how to open up your own ABA school and make lots of money. Um, autism is not a commodity, but this is people are Mm -hmm. making money off of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you go there and you're working on skills like feeding and dressing and functional communication, you are potentially denying a child intervention from people who have advanced training in those particular things. So if you're talking about functional communication and feeding, You better be talking to a speech language pathologist who has training in this. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're talking about um, ADLs, dressing, um, occupational therapists have master's level coursework in this and are experts in the motor planning that it takes in order to accomplish these tasks. So if there's a motor planning deficit, some sort of dyspraxia, Mm -hmm. an occupational therapist is going to identify that. An ABA professional will not be able to identify because they're not trained in it. Mm -hmm. And they have their chaining techniques, which are not unique to ABA. Um, But and then when you talk about what they call the functions of a behavior, one of them being sensory, (laughs) Um, so their definition of sensory is something that feels good or doesn't feel good. Uh Uh, Well, that's a slap in the face to OT because oh, yeah. Gene Ayers created the theory of, of sensory integration. Um, it grew up in OT. It's been proven to be effective. Um, there's some great research coming out in the very near future, comparing OT using an SI approach versus an ABA approach. Oh. Um, that will blow up the, the Google machine a little bit. Yeah,
0: <laughs> here for it, all right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um, but when you look at it, what an, if you look at an occupational therapist's training, so I dissected a human brain as part of my training as an occupational therapist. So I, you have training in the neurosciences. You basically have to have a minor in psychology just to get into OT school. Mm-hmm. We learn about motor development and motor planning and child development, both typical and atypical. And then all of the coursework that we do on activities of daily living, brushing teeth, Um, getting dressed, all the fine motor aspects with with buttons and zippers and snaps and all of that. So we're the experts. It's in Mm -hmm. our practice act. We don't call those things behaviors. ABA calls everything Mm -hmm. behavior. Yeah. Um, Those are motor skills that if there's a motor deficit, we have to identify. And a lot of autistic children have motor planning deficits that impact their play. So I've seen many autistic children run up to a swing and <laughs> want to get on it, but they don't know how uh, to get on it. So they run to something else. Uh-huh. So if you could you know, catch them in that moment when they run up to it again and be there to show them the motor plan, the joy of what they originally wanted to experience can happen. Uh-huh. Um, I don't have to force them. I just yeah. have to be there with them. Yeah. And if I'm taking data if I'm running after them with a notebook, I'm not connected, <laughs> not connected to that child. I just have to right. the notebook out. is a barrier automatically. The data collection. Think, yeah, yeah. They how much do they force eye contact on kids? And yeah, they're they're in their yeah. notebooks uh, taking data point. points.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um uh, so can you um can you can you explain you talked about motor planning and I think this is a some, something that I've learned I guess recently like I had no idea occupational therapists worked with anything other than um you know adults who need to get back to work after an injury or something Occupation, like that yeah. <laughs> so about 5 years ago really is when I first started the hearing and learning that oh this is so relevant um, to the work I do as an early childhood person, um, not for every child, every child that I'm, you know, but especially with these, these things that we find challenging. Um, and, and someone explained to me once, and I can't remember it. So I'm going to ask you to explain it again, the motor planning that goes into a child sitting on a chair. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Because, because we're going to reward or punish them for their mealtime participation or whatever. But if they, if they aren't, you know, if there's some problem with that motor planning, To get in the chair, the reward doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean?
1: One hundred percent. So let's. So I'm going to. I'm going to get. I'm going to get a little nerdy here. Perfect. Uh, I feel like I'm in a good space for that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, So instead of calling it motor planning, let's call it praxis. Yeah. So you talk about dyspraxia. Yeah. um, So praxis, I, I I've learned it, and and some people say four, but it's three components: ideation, which is coming up. With, with the idea of what to do. You see a playground, oh, I get a, I'm going to go towards that slot. Uh-huh. That's my idea.
0: Yeah.
1: Then the motor planning. Figuring out what you need your body to do and your brain to do in order to make that idea come to fruition. So ideation, motor planning, and then the actual execution of that motor plan. Uh-huh. So now, so bring that into sitting in a chair, assuming... That there's something really good happening. Yeah, that they're motivated to sit <laughs> to sit chair, in a chair. Yeah, which I can't necessarily right. guarantee days yeah. of the week.
0: Yeah, exactly. Week. <laughs> like, yeah, my easy answer is we'll let them stand to eat snack. Then, you know?
1: <laughs> whatever. Yes. So yes, anyway, there, important. there's that. Um, so, okay. So to sit in on, um, let's just assume it's going to be a little plastic cube chair because that seems to be everywhere. So, so you got to figure out how to, to navigate the obstacles, get around there, turn your body around and sit down. So you're assuming, you know, where you are in relationship to that chair, first of all. Um, so for a kid who missed, for a kid who's not sitting directly on the chair automatically, I'm going towards more, how's their body awareness? Do they know where they are in relationship to the chair? Um, and then can they actually feel themselves sitting in the chair? Are their feet on the floor? Um, because if their feet are not on the floor, then all of a sudden you're adding all of these demands on your postural muscles, all those little jelly bellies that our kids have, (laughs) um, we're assuming that their core can hold them up so that they can sit right. Mm -hmm. And again, that's sitting right is our definition of right, not there. So if, if they're say they're sitting on the floor, and they like crisscross applesauce. Well, that's a horrible position for punch. Yeah. So any any adult right now can go sit on the floor and crisscross, and you can just watch your shoulders hunch forward. Yeah, because you can't. Just thinking
0: about it, maybe, I felt I it.
1: <laughs> like you can't sustain that because we just don't have the core muscles. Uh-huh. A few kids may be able to, but yeah. many can't. So. There's that piece. Yeah. Then there's the kids who are still learning about their sensory systems and they they need to move a little bit. Yeah. But we want them to sit still. So yeah. that's a challenge. So all of these, so it's not just motor planning. Mm-hmm. It's sensory. Oh, by the way, and I may have to go to the bathroom too. So I may be fidgeting a little bit because I feel something down there. Uh-huh. If I even can feel something down there, right. we don't know yet. That interceptive awareness is tough for kids. Yeah. So all of this is going on invisibly uh, like we don't like somebody who's not trained to look at that doesn't know what it's going on. we yeah. just see that either a kid can sit, will sit still or won't sit still. yeah what I'm saying they may not be able to sit still mm-hmm. or get to that chair but if you're just looking at it as a behavior and you don't have that knowledge, yeah that's a disservice to the kid right. So it's and, more than just motor planning.
0: Yeah. And I can, I can imagine someone listening to that someone who's just, you know, who is working in early childhood and <laughs> isn't an occupational therapist <laughs> thinking, I can't, I don't know all that. I can't I keep all that. that in my brain. Well, then it's just a thing to think, well, oh, wait, I wonder what else might be happening. <laughs> you right. don't have to know it all in the moment, but when yeah. that child isn't sitting the way you want them to, we can think, oh, I wonder instead
1: yeah. of Ugh, this kid wondering and noticing that they're having a hard time is yeah. a fabulous way to approach yeah. it so yeah. no you don't have to know all the answers but you can't start with they're just not complying
0: mm-hmm. yeah. there's
1: a reason why they're not complying and so we have to dig deeper and if you don't have everything that I just rattled off yeah. as so matter-of-factly then yes you you lead with compassion
0: yeah
1: and curiosity and you get there. Maybe they they can sit a different way, um, which will allow them to stay in the group and yet meet whatever muscle motor planning demands that they have.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, maybe the plastic cube chair isn't right for them. Yeah. Maybe they have to switch positions every couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. Maybe every maybe the entire class would benefit from that.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe our expectations could shift a little bit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting in a moving chair right now. Yeah, it's I'm rocking and I'm exactly my legs across. Now they're not. Yeah, I've got a fidget in my hand. Around.
0: Come on. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> God. Um, uh. So, is there any like what? I've, it's time to wrap up <laughs> for for this one. For this one, um, we'll hopefully uh, have more conversations. But um, is there anything that you wanted to say that you didn't get to say or a last kind of a, a last thought.
1: So them. let's go back to what you said about parents feel like they don't have a choice. Yeah. Um, yes. They have a choice. Um, and it is, you know, all parents want to advocate for their kids and knowledge is power. Yeah. So when you're going into school and you're sitting in an IEP meeting and they're proposing this, you can push back. There is objective information to help you, I gave you some of it today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not just Greg spewing opinions Is I can back this up with studies and, and other research that has happened. Um, so you do have a choice. The Just because your child has an autism diagnosis does not mean that they need endless amounts of therapy. Um, that your child and occupational, physical speech therapists are here to support kids and maybe help them learn skills that they're having difficulty learning naturally. But we're not here to force things upon kids or to make them look normal mm-hmm. um, or indistinguishable from their peers. That's not our motivation. Wow, what a
0: terrible word. I just can't get over that. Sorry, I
1: interrupted. It's <laughs> awful. And it's still in the literature. I know, God yikes um oh and the social skills oh the social skills oh growth. yeah yes, yes. yeah uh, all
0: right yeah. well um <laughs> I'll tell you what I told Kelsey Olds when she was on I need books from both of you <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm working on it. excellent it's so just... my own neurodivergence that is preventing me <laughs> yeah. from writing this book
0: yeah um well I'm not I've I've been talking about this book that I'm writing um yeah for a long time and just finally got the first chapter done. So, yes. I, and I, I don't, you know, anyway, so I get it, but uh, I would, <laughs> I would gobble it up. Um, uh, so thank you so much. Where can um, people find you? So you're on Facebook. Just, they just, yes. look up Greg.
1: Facebook, Greg Santucci, occupational therapist, make sure you add the occupational therapist. Cause if you just do Uh, Greg Santucci, you're going to get pictures of Logan, the mini labradoodle and my kid's (laughs) soccer goals. So make sure you add occupation, which is fine. Um, um, So there's gregsantucci.com. Any infographic that I put on my Facebook page is available for free in PDF form on my website. I try to do as much free stuff as possible Mm -hmm. for everybody to be that resource so that parents feel that they do have a choice. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, knowledge is power. So I'm on Instagram, kind of. (laughs) Um, I'm not really a fan of the platform, but Greg Santucci on Instagram, Greg Santucci Occupational Therapist on Facebook, and then gregsantucci.com. If you sign up for emails, I'm going to start sending out a newsletter. I'm going to try to do maybe like two a year. I don't want to spam everybody <laughs> with emails, right. um, but that'll keep you in touch to see if if I'm around yeah. um, or doing something that may benefit. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you. I hope that everybody
0: goes to look for you now as soon as they hit uh, stop on this episode. Um, cool. Appreciate it so much, Greg.
1: And thank uh, you, friend. <laughs> I missed you. I'm <laughs> glad it's you been, so <laughs> been so long.
0: In so long, yeah. I've, I've, i am uh, so. I was so excited to talk to you. Um, all right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of that early childhood nerd.
1: That's the show. Now, go get your nerd on.
0: This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production.
1: Oh.